What is up, guys? You are listening to the Montreal Madness Podcast with your host, Tony Montreal. All right, guys, welcome back for another episode. As promised last week, I have another special guest with me, the one and only James Dean Wyatt. How's it going, JD? It is going good, Anthony. Thank you for having me on. Appreciate getting to do this again. I remember the last time we did it, you, me, and TC at his apartment. Yeah, that was awesome. That was fun. Well, glad you're here, man. Glad you're here. Um, No, let's get right down into it here. Uh, Last week, let's let's talk a little bit about the Steelers-Jaguars game from last week here. Uh, Your overall thoughts about the game and the loss there. Honestly, kind of a boring game. Mm-hmm. say the least. I mean, at no real point did we look like we were in much control of that game. Um, I mean, obviously, defense played well. You know, we went in the first half, held them to three field goals. Yeah. Yeah, yep. so held them to field goals. I mean, we had the game in our hand. Losing Kenny Pickett kind of hurt us a little bit. Obviously, Mitch Trubisky was not ready to come in and play that game, and I think that's kind of where the, you know, turnoff factor kind of started as soon as Kenny really got hurt. Yeah, you know, just – the first half alone kind of dictated how the whole game was going to play out, even uh, take out the Kenny Pickett injury. You know, they, once again, common theme, uh, dating back even the last couple years here, just can't move the ball on offense, totally inept, can't even make it past the 50-yard line. And when they do get it inside the opponent's um, 20, Kenny Pickett misses a wide-open Deontay Johnson in the end zone for a touchdown. That would have been his first touchdown in over a year and a half. Uh, they just, he can't seem to buy a break, and just Kenny Pickett overall, even before the injury, just looked terrible. Yeah, I mean, offense obviously has just been a real struggle at this point in the season. I mean, I'm pretty sure we're last in almost every single measurable offensive statistic in the NFL, which, you know, is never good. Obviously, you know, you expect that with a rebuild, though, but... Yeah, it's just, like you said, you know, that wide-open Deontay Johnson. You could see Deontay, he was definitely frustrated after that, you know, really errant throw, too, on a wide-open guy. Yeah. And, I mean, I know it's raining and everything, but, I mean, dude, that's a, what, six-yard slant? You've got to be able to hit. Yeah, that the rain was not a factor at that exactly. point, especially on that play. That's just that's just a lame excuse for all you picket lovers out there. Yeah, I kind of agree with that. But, I mean, and it just, you know, we made it interesting. And, you know, the last couple of games, the second – Second half has really been where the Steelers has kind of dominated with the ball on offense, Mm -hmm. at least as far as going to get points. And, you know, it just felt like with Mitch in there, you knew it wasn't really going to happen. I will say that's one thing I noticed. So Mitch, when he was the starter last year, um, seemed like he was really, you know, protective of the ball. He didn't want to make dumb plays and get turnovers where we saw Mitch Sunday just – Fuck it, I'll throw it. I mean, I'm sorry if you don't swear on this. Oh, it's all good. I've said fuck so many times. Okay, but anyways, yeah, he just said fuck it. Let's try to force a ball to, uh, you know, George Pickens in a fucking three man covering. Was even him? Was Allen Robinson? That's who it was Allen. I thought it was eleven as well. But yeah, to a Rob there, just like it doesn't make sense to me why. You know, and I understand he's on a Finnick line as well, just as far as getting playing time. It's still, like, trying to do way too much there, it felt like, on Sunday. Yeah, he admitted after the game uh, that he was just trying to force the ball and, you know, trying to make a play and get the offense somewhat going. And, um, you know, can you really even blame him at that point? You know, it's kind of like, hey, you're down by a couple scores here. Let's just see if a guy can make a play, and it just didn't happen. I mean, did he force the ball? 100% guaranteed he forced the ball, and ultimately he shouldn't have thrown it. But, I mean, you've got to do something at that point, because up until that point, it was just a little check-down pass that he was doing. So, if you're down by two scores in the fourth quarter, I mean, you've got to let at least one rip 
you know, so... you got to take shots at some point. I mean, you get yourself back in yeah. the game. Yeah, and that's something Pickett doesn't do, which, you know... Yeah, he doesn't have a lot of turnovers. I think he only has five turnovers in the year, but he only has four passing touchdowns. Like, that's just... Never, uh, I never don't know. good with the turnovers and passing touchdown, you know, kind of being at one. Mm-hmm. You know, you kind of want to be at least, sometimes, probably at least two or three in the NFL. Yes, for the good ones. Yeah, but... Yep, the struggles continue. I don't see anything changing until I, you know, potentially, you know, some guys want to step up, take action. I mean, I know the defense is trying to be leaders within the locker room. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just, it's tough with a young offense. And there's definitely going to be thumps. We're going to keep experiencing these thumps. But I don't know, man. Just got to take it week by week, I guess. There's still a shot for us to win the North. So Yeah, miraculously, there still is. Yeah. But here's my thing, though. Uh, the Bengals... Just like in previous years, they have struggled early in the year, and that kind of has to do with Joe Burrow missing all of training camp, all of preseason, and coming out rusty and cold. But now, guess what? They're 4-3. and three. They just beat the San Francisco 49ers, and they did it handily. Like, it wasn't a, uh, a question in doubt. Like, they won that game. Um, you know, they dominated that game against probably the, the best, one of the best NFC teams in the league. And, you know, they're sitting right there, four and three. You, you know, they're they're going to be – they still have to play them twice. And that's going to be a tough out for them, along with Baltimore. Um, you know, Cleveland, I mean, with a backup quarterback from, what, the XFL, P.J. Walker, I mean, they're still right in it. So it's, it's going to be a tough sledding here down the road. I do want to say, though, I know I've come on this show the past couple uh, episodes and said about how the defense needs to step up and do better. Uh, I don't know, as a defense, how much better they could have played Yes, uh, last Sunday. They got three turnovers, and they got three turnovers whenever the Jaguars were looking to put points on the board. Mm-hmm. That was huge. And you'd think that provides some sort of spark on the offense, and it, it just doesn't. And I know we're sounding like a broken record here with the offense, but that's just what it is. They're, they're just so bad. Um, but, uh, yeah, moving on here to the titans game um looks like cam hayward he had two full practices uh this week he he's a possibility of uh playing you know obviously it doesn't help the offense but um that's gonna be more help in the defense especially with them trying to uh, stop the run which is probably the one weakness they have on this team other than the secondary is that they have a hard time stop stopping the run uh that should help if he's able to come back uh how do you see this game going them playing against big dick levis yeah, man. I mean, shout out to Will Levitz, former Penn State player, gone to Kentucky because we love Sean Clifford too much. <laughs> but that's neither here or there. There's another time for that. But yeah, it looked pretty great last week against, you know, like you said before we start talking, a comparable, you know, Falcons team to the Steelers defensive wise. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Will, he has a money arm. He loves to show it, and he can definitely throw a fucking football. Um, and ideally for him, you know, he's kind of walking into, you know, kind of a dream scenario for a rookie quarterback. I yeah. mean, you know, he wasn't expected to be the starter, you know, kind of the guy that knew he was in the backup when his number was called, you know, he'd have to step in and play. 
But, I mean, ideally, when you want to come into a team, I mean, who's better than the Titans? Great offensive line historically over the last five years. Yep. I will say probably the best running back in the NFL over the last five years. Yes. And you pick up a superstar in DeAndre Hopkins. I mean, I know he's a little bit older, still a Pro Bowl wide receiver. Three touchdowns last week. Three touchdowns last week, and he proved he can still get behind defenders. And, you know, if you let Will Levitt's air one out, he's definitely going to make you pay for it because he does have a big-time arm. I'm interested to see the matchup between uh, Jerry Porter Jr. and DeAndre Hopkins. You know, This is probably the best talent he's seen so far in his young career. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, Jerry Porter Jr. is going to have to come out and play. I expect him to be physical up on the ball. Hopefully we get Minka back this week. I don't know. I didn't, he's out. He's, he's ruled out, out. Ruled out for sure. So, yep. Yeah, it's gonna it's gonna be a tough one, I think, for the Steelers secondary if that line's able to, you know, give Levitz enough time. And what a lot of people don't know about Will too, he can beat you on his feet. He is a good has good pocket presence. You know, he understands where pressure's coming. So the Steelers defense is gonna have to get created as far as blitz schemes and getting after the quarterback. Just to make sure you don't let him slip one loose, you know, for 20, 30 yards. 100%. Yeah, I don't know how many times um, when he did play for Penn State there for that uh, year or whatever, half a year, mm-hmm. he came in for Sean Clifford. Um, you know, most of his yards, I would say, was him running the ball. Uh, you know, he wasn't really known as a thrower in college, but damn, he would get you almost a guaranteed 10 yards for every time he scrambled and oh, ran the ball. And physical runner as well. Yes. I mean, he's not scared to go in there and take a hit. You know, reminds me a lot, kind of like Josh Allen when he gets yes. out there in open space. So, you know, and I think that's one of the Steelers' big weaknesses, kind of spying the quarterback on broken down plays. Our quarterbacks typically, you know, have their head downfield, not paying attention to the quarterback, more so to the receiver. Mm-hmm. And it's just, you know, someone's going to have to, you know, kind of watch him that game and make sure he doesn't, you know, like you said, kind of bust you up with his legs. Yeah. So for the Steelers offense this week, you know, it's I obviously whatever they're doing isn't working. Um, You know, anywhere from the play calling to the quarterback play to the offensive line, the running game, anything you mention offense, it's not working. Why do you think the Steelers and more specifically Mike Tomlin they're they're unwilling to try different stuff. You know, Mason Cole, he was a service serv- oh my god, serviceable center last season. He's been absolute dog shit this year. You have a guard in James Daniels who has played center in the past with the Bears. Why don't they make a subtle change like that within their offensive line? You know, move James Daniels from James Daniels from right guard to center, put uh Nate Herbig in, um, and then put Broderick Jones in a left tackle and either have Dan Moore or Chooks at the right tackle position. Why are they so inept to making those changes whenever obviously what they're doing isn't working? Why don't they do it? I mean, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and, you know, expecting a different result each time. And obviously, you know, this offense is, you know, I wouldn't even say it's one-dimensional. There's no dimensions (laughs) to it. So basically, you know, it's not even a flat surface. It doesn't exist. It's kind of wild to think about. But, yeah, I mean, changes to the offensive line, maybe making it up there. I agree with you on Mason Cole. I mean, you did notice a lot last week, you know, shotguns, even with Mason Rudolph, balls were hitting off the ground. Yeah. Having to catch him down by his uh, ankles. It's just, as a quarterback, you got to think to yourself, you know, I'm worried about reading coverage here. I don't need to worry about a snap. And then I'm already off my rhythm. So, I mean, I don't know if it's them two not being that familiar, but. I agree with you. I mean, some changes need to be made. The Steelers' identity, you know, has always been a run-first team. You know, we're going to pound and ground you the whole game. We'll find some guys that will slip open, then on play action passes. And then, you know, as Ben got older, we got more pass-heavy. But, you know, it's kind of direction to the NFL as well. But 
yeah, I mean, we got to get back to what we, you know, we're known for and doing best, I guess. You know, I read a tweet the other day. Uh, since 2017, um, the Steelers' yards per carry average has been 25th or worse than, since 2017. So even uh, this goes back to the days of Randy Fickner's OC. They just haven't they haven't been able to run the ball on a consistent basis. And like you said, they're trying to be a run-heavy team, but they either don't have the personnel – they don't have the coaching, or it's a combination of the two, um, which brings me to my next point here. Through all the offseason or offensive struggles this year, and dating back to last year and the year before, you think it's more of a personnel thing or more of a coaching thing, or do you have to say both? I mean, it's it's got to be a little bit of both. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's guys on the it's guys on the line that you know in other teams when they came to the Steelers. Um, you know, they've done well, and you got to think, you know, it's kind of a scheme change as far as the way we run design this offense, too. But I think you do got to look at coaching a little bit. I mean, Mike Tomlin, he's always been a defensive guy, so I kind of excluded when we talk about offenses. Yeah. I mean, if you think back, Todd Haley, when, you know, the Triple Bs were out there, that's when our run game was at its strongest. That was the last time, you know, it was consistent, like you said, with your statistic. Mm-hmm. And it's just at some point it's like, hey, you know, this run isn't working, this isn't working. Maybe we gotta get a little bit more creative in the offensive play call, you know, and keep the defenses expecting things. So that's just my personal take on it. Yeah, you know, speaking of play calling, you know, you know, I'm not defending Matt Canada by any stretch of the imagination here, but he probably, from a pure play calling um, perspective, it wasn't that bad. Like the first play of the game. They designed a play to hit Deontay Johnson in the middle of the field. He was wide open. If he breaks a tackle or runs between the safeties, that's a 70, what, 70, 75-yard touchdown pass he throws. Mm -hmm. But not only does he drop it, but Kenny Pickett kind of overthrows him a little bit too. Uh, There are some, obviously, you had your typical head-scratcher plays where um, it was the same series that Pickett uh, threw behind Deontay Johnson in the end zone. The play before that, they did a shovel pass to Connor Hayward where – it was the complete opposite way of where the blocking was, and you had three Jaguars and no Steelers um, offensive lineman or anybody blocking in front of him. So you had a couple of those plays, but overall, he didn't call that bad of a game. You know, it's the personnel, especially from the quarterback and the offensive line, is just so terrible. And I don't know if you've recognized this or not, J.D., but since Canada has came over, they do a lot of zone run blocking. And what have we been? Uh, what have the Steelers been known for ever since we were in diapers, man? They would always pull the guards. They'd pull run a lot guard, of trap, ISO trap, all that. They just never do that anymore. Out. And I mean, it's. I think it's kind of in fall too to the league just becoming, you know, more of a passing league. Zone schemes just seem to work better on check plays where you, you know, go to a pass option off of it. So. I mean, I agree kind of a little bit. You know, last week's play calling hasn't been so bad. I also agree, you know, like I said at the start of this show, offensive immaturity, man. These guys, you know, don't have a lot of games under their belts together as a team, and it's obviously showing, and it's going to continue to show until, you know, people want to go take the next step and become something better. And I know that's kind of a cliche to say they're all professionals. They get paid to do this. Yeah. But it's just, you know, at some point you got to just say, hey, you know, Let's stay an extra 20, 30 minutes after practice and let's hit some, you know, different yardage routes. Or, hey, get with your running backs, practice mesh points. Because even though, you know, those are pretty given things, Mm -hmm. when you get them to second nature, it's just, you know, you mature so you can worry about other things. And 
that's kind of you know who wants to put in the effort. That's all I was just want to want to say, I guess. Yeah. So before we get into our our predictions for um, the Steelers game on Thursday night here, uh, you know Josh McDaniels, he was just relieved at, um, from his head coaching duties along with their GM and their offensive coordinator. <laughs> um, maybe something the Steelers should do. I don't know. Uh, but I saw a good point on Twitter. Uh, having bringing Josh McDaniels in for this year as an offensive consultant, and then next year uh, keep him on, and uh, he now becomes your OC for 2024. Uh, I actually love that idea. You know, I'm not saying he's your head coach. He's already blown two head coaching opportunities. I don't want him as a head coach. Uh, But he is an offensive guru, a great offensive coordinator, has been there and done that before. He knows what it takes of being with Brady and the Patriots on how to win and play good offense and win playoff games and Super Bowls. I would love to see Josh McDaniels come in and take over as OC next year. What are your thoughts on that? I mean, I would say, like, kind of agreeing with you, Josh McDaniels as a head coach obviously hasn't worked in the NFL. Piss poor. Piss poor. Absolutely terrible. Has just ruined teams completely. But, um... I mean, as far as an OC job, yeah, I think it's ideal. I think it's something he understands well and can fall back to. I think there's just some people wired to handle responsibility better than others, and obviously the head coaching spot, it just doesn't seem to be right for him. But Mm -hmm. as far as him coming to the Steelers, I mean, I'd like to see it. I think it would be interesting. Um, I think there's other candidates out there, though, that you know the Steelers would probably have a little bit more priority on just knowing the organization as a whole. But... Yeah, it would be an interesting point. Hopefully, I mean, it couldn't make anything worse, right? Exactly. I mean, you can't, you're already at the bottom. You can't get any worse. So why not take a chance? But like you said, the Steeler way, they just hire within. Uh, The Steeler way, again, sucks. I'll say it again. Uh, It sucks. It's terrible. It's garbage. It's trash. The league is doing laps around how the Steelers operate. Uh, It's just a complete shit show, especially on the offensive side of the ball. Um, But here we go. It's prediction time. I want two things from you, J.D. Uh, the final score of the game, who you think is going to win, and then if the Steelers do win, uh, what's it? how are they going to win? The Steelers win if? The Steelers win if we can control Will Levitz. And I know it sounds like a weird thing to say, but, um, you know, we, we talked about his big playmaking capabilities. Is our secondary going to be able to cover? Can we stop the pass? And obviously, you know, still be mindful of Derrick Henry. Yeah. Uh, Connor Hayward comes back. I think, you know, that helps the case a good bit. Obviously, though, we still have great, you know, backup options behind him, too, that have been playing really well in his absence. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I think it all obviously, you know, like I said, comes down to defense and what version of the offense we see this week. Are we going to see the team, you know, with Kenny Pickett's saying he's going to play for sure. There's nothing that's holding him back. But um, are we going to see the offense that comes out, you know, later parts of games, develops a good run, and then Kenny's hitting guys that are open? Mm -hmm. I mean, if we see that, obviously, I think we have a great chance of winning. But um, as far as prediction-wise, I think the Titans probably end up winning this game. I think it'll be close. I think 28-20 probably. So... Oh, here's the thing. I if the, the Steelers win, if they can score 20 or more points in offense, I think in this type of game, that's all you need uh, to beat this uh, Tennessee Titan team. Uh, if the Steelers, if they just score more than 20 points, I truly believe that they win this game. Because, I mean, they held Trevor Lawrence, ETN, 
uh, Christian Kirk, Calvin Ridley, and that explosive offense. Uh, they only 20 points on the board last mm-hmm. week. Um, if they can, if they did that to that sort of an offense, I believe that this defense can definitely hold them to under 20 points. And you know the Steelers win if they can just score score 20 points, two touchdowns and a field goal. I know that's asking a lot from this offense. It really is. And it doesn't uh, even need to be the offense defense. That's You're true. More than welcome to score. That's touchdown true. As well. Oh, if the Steelers score a score a defensive touchdown or or the least, um, like T.J. Watt did against the Rams, he had a pick to like what the eight yard line or something like that. If that can happen, yeah, Steelers are definitely winning. Um, now, my actual prediction. I do see the Steelers winning this game. Okay. Uh, you know, their Titans are a middle-of-the-pack, the below-average team. The Steelers seem to find ways to beat those teams. Now, I'm not saying they're going to blow them out. They're not. Uh, it's going to be a close game uh, all the way to the end. I just see the Steelers team, um, typical where they play an average, below-average team. You know, they seem to actually win these games now, unlike in years past where, you know, how many times has a you know Mike Tomlin led team you know they have faltered against lesser competition? Seems like in the last couple years you know that's the only teams they can beat, and they've beaten them on a consistent basis. So I have the Steelers winning twenty three to seventeen. That's my final score. Okay, uh, I still I still think the Titans will win this, but I'm gonna uh-huh. move my score prediction. I don't think the Steelers score twenty points. I think we score realistically. <laughs> I want to say 17 would be uh-huh. nice, but I'm going to go Titans win this 24 to 14. Okay, already. That works. Um, I, like I said, I can see that prediction happening too. That's definitely not off the charts at all. So from the NFL here to college football and Penn State, I know you and I were going to the Maryland game actually this weekend. Um, you know, they ended up beating Indiana last week. You and I watched at your place uh, last Saturday. Gave us a little scare there. Ultimately, they pulled it off. They won by two scores. Uh, what did you think of that offense last week, which was pedest- which has looked pedestrian the last month or so? Um, you know, it was a tough game. Um, I will say this. I like the way Drew Lahr responded this week after Ohio State. I felt, you know, the criticisms were obviously held, heard, definitely, Um you know, by the coaching staff leading up to this game. I feel at least, and I hope you agree, I feel like we took a couple more chances that game and at least, you know, trying to get in the ball downfield. We did. Um, don't understand what's up with uh, Nick Singleton this season. Really um, kind of been disappointing after last year. I mean, I understand our line has not been up to par and as great as we all thought they would be. Mm-hmm. But still, the line wasn't much better last year either. And he still found ways to just get there and make explosive plays. I mean, right now, Catron should be the starting back, I think, completely. I don't think it should be a question. I mean, he's been running the ball hard. He ran hard, I think, against Ohio State, and I feel he ran really hard against Indiana, too. Um, I think we should get Potts more of a look, too, because in the games I've seen him play, he's run the ball just as hard as well, I thought. Um, Singleton, you know, kind of dropping passes. I mean, I know in the one Yeah, play, that's been that's been dreadful, his pass-catching ability out of the backfield. And there's just been some plays where he's been thrown onto wheel routes where, you know, he makes one guy miss, he's busting it for 30 yards. And it's yep. just... it's And you see the replays of the drops, his head's always downfield looking for the next guy. It's like... Secure the ball and get forward. Now, he did make a good catch on the one play I know you and I both held our breath on. Yes. Of that, <laughs> that sideline, what was it, on third down. But yep. other than that, I mean, it's been kind of disappointing for him. Oh, it definitely has been. And it's been really confusing to me because, like you said, his freshman year, 
he was popping off 40, 50 yard runs, it seemed like every single game. And this year, it's just the complete opposite. It's like, so here's my thing. I don't know if it's a coaching standpoint where they're trying to ingrain in him. Hey, we want you to go where the run play is called and, you know, just get those tough three or four yard runs. But it baffles me to think that because why as a coaching staff would you tell your explosive home run hitting running back to not bounce it out to the outside where he can get a potential 20, 30, 40 yard gain and just keep it in between the tackles and get your three or four yard run? That just it's mind blowing to me. So I don't know whether it's a sophomore slump or the coaching um, or a little bit of both. Uh, something just seems off with him. Maybe maybe he's battling a little bit of an injury we don't know about. Or hell, maybe he's just plain overrated. Maybe we overhyped him and this offensive line and this entire offense in general. And, you know, where, where our expectations were coming into the season were just, you know, super high and they're just not living up to them. What do you think, between what I said there, what do you think it is? I think, you know, on a lot of the plays when he's running the ball, it's kind of like you said with the Steelers, it's a lot of those zone run plays out of the gun. And it's a lot of those, you know, kind of run plays you got to hit the spot quick and get to it. Um, but I just feel like this year in general, he's just a little bit more indecisive and, you know, a little bit more cautious of where he wants to hit. And I know I already said this, but the line isn't ver- helping him very much no. either. But, um, you know, there is some plays where, you know, we've gotten holes for him and he's cut it upfield and made plays. So I'd like to see them more try to make people miss and less of kind of running them over. Does that kind of make sense to you? Because I feel when we bust a run for like six yards, Mm -hmm. if we try to make a juke or a spin to get out of a play, but it just feels like the running backs are looking to actively go hit someone. It's weird because when we were watching the Indiana game, they showed a highlight. I don't know if it's Ohio State or another team. But Catron Allen, he had a huge hole he ran through, and it was for like 10 or so yards. He was one-on-one with the safety, okay? And like you said, instead of trying to juke him or outmaneuver him being elusive, he just stuck his head down, his shoulder down, and tried to run through him. It was like watching Chestnut Ridge football. You know what I mean? No, like, not- make, make, a, make a move, man. Yeah, I understand. And, I mean, there's times to do that, like right on the line of scrimmage. Not but in the open exactly. field, though. Once you get to open field, try to be explosive. It makes some yes. you know, highlight real plays. and. Yeah, I do. I I mean, I agree with that. So, but yeah, like you said, um, with Nicholas Singleton, I mean, that's what I think he needs to do more of is just, you know, just run hard to the line and get get through it initially. Just don't sit there and dance. So, um, I know we touched on this just a little bit ago before we started talking about Nicholas Singleton. But your overall thoughts on Drew Aller um, from the week one against West Virginia up until now? You know, I was. You know, he was a number one quarterback recruit for a reason. The first game against West Virginia, he was slinging it and throwing it down the field, left sideline, right sideline. We know he has a rifle of an arm, and he looked good that week one game against uh, WVU. Ever since that game, he doesn't look like the number one quarterback recruit that we all thought was going to come in here and overcome uh, James Franklin's inept ability to beat uh, teams like Ohio State and Michigan. Um, you know, I thought going into the season he was going to mask a lot of Penn State's problems on the offensive side of the ball, which is the reason why I was so hype about them going into the Ohio State game. Uh, we haven't seen that type of performance from Drew. Uh, what do you think the reason is, um, is? Is he another overrated player on this team? Or do you think it has a lot to do with them telling him, play it safe, play it smart? Or another big observation is, 
uh, his wide receivers are lackluster to say the least, and that's putting it nicely. Um, what do you think the biggest issue is with uh, the number one quarterback recruit we got from Ohio, Drew Aller, so far this year? No, I think it's a little bit of growing pains. I think it's, um, you know, obviously coming in a starting role for a historically, you know, big program. I mean, there's obviously going to be pressure upon that. But I, I think a lot of it, you know, really has to do kind of with our off, you know, offensive play calling and kind of like you said there at the end, our wide receiver talent. Um, you know, in years past, we've had the big name guys that go out there and make plays. KJ Hamler. Dotson. Dotson. Godwin. Allen Robinson. I mean, there's a yep. reason these guys are in the NFL and doing pretty yeah. decent in the NFL. Yep. And it just, you know, doesn't make – this year we just don't have that. And I know everyone thought coming in, you know, Lambert Smith, you know, might be that guy. Everyone thought Cypress coming, you know, out of a smaller school transferring into Penn State. and having, He hasn't done shit. You don't even really see him on the field. Exactly. I mean, you don't even notice him on the field. And there's plays that you watch, and it's just like, you know, guys, if they don't get the ball thrown to them initially, they just aren't working for to get open in other, you know, situations. I mean, I thought Olara's done well, you know, as far as handling pressure, finding his open targets. I mean... I've watched him throw balls to his third option on plays. So he's obviously scanning the field and looking down there trying to get the ball to people. Mm-hmm. But I just think, you know, a little bit more effort from the receivers and a little bit more pride. Drops have been an issue. I mean, they've kind of corrected themselves a little bit, but they're still a blaring issue with the offense. So it's it's I think it's, you know, like I said, a little bit of both of those reasonings. And then I know I wasn't on for the Ohio State game, but to mention play calling, I mean, Tony, I've watched a lot of football. I've played a lot of football. Mm-hmm. Never in my life, even on fucking Madden, why the <laughs> fuck do you run a flea flicker inside your opponent's 30-yard Yeah. Line? And then when you do it, you have guys running to the fucking same spot. Now, they said, you know, oh, maybe the guy ran the wrong route, and I don't think anyone ever really mentioned that player said anything. But it's just like some of these offensive calls that Urich is up there calling, it's just like, dude, what are you – thinking yeah you were there at the game you saw it firsthand that play and then the other play that absolutely dumbfounded me was the double pass we tried for uh lambert smith we threw the ball to the boundary side we mm-hmm. were on the left hash yeah he has absolutely no room, room. to work with yeah that. why are you trying to complete a play that takes at least four or five seconds to develop mm-hmm. to your boundary you're stacking the side over there yeah so it's it's just some of these offensive play calls, you know, really question it. But, you know, as far as Drew has been playing this season, you know, I've been impressed. I mean, I've seen worse. And if you want to talk about a guy that was completely overrated, Christian Hattenberg, I mean, Drew Lar has been, I feel personally, kind of leaps and bounds above Hattenberg as far as maturity level and, um, you know, just being able to be in the box there and getting his ball to people. Now, we can get into this if you want, but I believe Hattenberg was ruined by James Franklin and that team. Uh, when he was a Bill O'Brien, uh, his uh, freshman year in 2013, I believe, yeah, 2013 was his freshman year, mm-hmm. he looked like the number one, I think he was, maybe not number one, but he was definitely a top five quarterback recruit going into his freshman year. And he played very good his freshman year, way better than Drew Aller did this year. And then when Bill O'Brien left and Franklin took over, I think they personally ruined him. And then obviously he got drafted by the Jets in the NFL, I think it was second or third round. He only lasted a season or two, and then he was done. Uh, I, I really think that offensive staff and James Franklin absolutely ruined the shit out of Hackenberg. Uh, do you agree with that at all, or do you have another theory? I just I didn't think Hackenberg was good from his start there. Really? You didn't even think he was good his freshman year? 
I mean, he was decent. Big Ten wasn't too strong, though, back then in that time, 2013, 2014. I mean, Ohio State was coming off, what, their college football championship in 2010, and I don't think they won yeah. again until 2017, or it was 2008. Something like that. that time frame. So I don't think the Big Ten was as strong, mm-hmm. and, you know, looking back at those days, he had, you know, Allen Robinson on the team, who was it, who's remained in the yeah. NFL, he had the playmakers there, and you yeah. know those were seasons where we had a decent. I know the sanctions kind of hit in and didn't help. Lose obviously losing scholarship guys to your team would definitely affect the quality of your players. Yeah, but it's still. I mean, I feel like they kind of had the keys to the Ferrari and he fumbled the bag. Yeah, yeah. I I don't know. I I, I just personally believe that freaking Franklin um, ruined him. That whole entire coaching staff uh, ruined him. But uh, speaking of Franklin. I've asked uh, Corey this on uh, last week's show and Luke Stoltz um, the week before. What Sandy Barber did in giving Franklin that extension, that 10-year, $80 million extension, the year before she left, knowing she was going to leave, instead of letting the new AD uh, come in and make that decision. Uh, what do you think whenever uh, that happened, when that uh, news broke? I mean, I obviously wasn't mad about Franklin getting the deal. Listen, I mean, I've suffered through Penn State at its lows, and I've been through its highs. I mean, if Franklin can get his 10 wins a season in a New Year's Six Bowl, I'm going to be happy with that. I know everyone wants the college football playoffs. Hell, I want the college football playoffs too. But, I mean, right now, we're only ever going to be as good, as I said, you know, as our offensive coordinator, our defensive coordinator. Franklin has historically not really been a great coach. I mean, obviously, like you said, you can bring up the statistics. He can't win the big game. And I think that's mainly because, you know, he's more of a recruiter. I think the offensive, you know, play call, I mean, and I'll even say it against Ohio State, was the worst play called game I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. It's just absolutely dumbfounding to me. And I, you know, even over the last couple years, I know the Steelers haven't been great, but since Franklin's got there, it's always been, you know, whoever's running this offense, designing these plays, they look good. Like when we had... Um, Joe Moorhead. Moorhead. Uh, um, Ricky Ronnie. R- Ricky, R- Ricky Rain was... Ricky defense. Rain, okay. Ricky Rain was defense. But um, oh. w- what was the other guy's name with Rain? Was Ricky Rain defense? Yeah, Rick, no, Ricky Rain was offense. Okay. Yeah. Moorhead, then it was Rain, right? Yeah, Moorhead first. That was the uh, Trace McSorley years. And then Ronnie came... Or Rain came... Uh, McSorley senior in 2018, and, and then, then after the that Mich- the Minnesota guy, yeah, and, and then your your Yurich, yeah, yeah. So I mean, and they had players too for those teams, but it's mm-hmm. still you know regardless, I you got to question some of the offensive play calling, yeah. I think personally, my main thing is though you brought up about how you know Franklin winning ten games, making a New Year's Six bowl, and winning it, you know, whatever. Georgia, before they became a powerhouse a few years ago, they really came at a crossroads. Uh, their former coach was Mark Wright. You remember him? Mm-hmm. They were constantly having these 9-10 win seasons, just like Franklin is, and they they were a 35-year drought of winning the national championship, kind of like what we are. We haven't won a national title since 1986. And, you know, Penn State's at the same crossroads. Do you want to continue this 9-10 win seasons with a new year's six bowl eligibility um and you're fine with that or do you want to take that chance you know and now it's two-folded you get a good head coach who turns your program around from a great team to an elite team which franklin mentioned after the ohio state game in 2018 where penn state's a great team but we're not an elite team yet well it's been five years since he made that famous quote and they're still at that nine ten win gap uh 
you know, I personally, as a Penn State fan who just cares about winning, I would rather see us take that chance hiring that coach who, you know, puts us over the top where, you know, you you run the risk of he may take us down to where we're only winning seven or eight wins a year. I would rather take that risk and going for it like Georgia did. Um, who's their head coach? It's something in my mind. Kirby Smart. Kirby Smart. I'd rather take that chance and hiring a guy like Kirby Smart who can take you over the top rather than just the status quo, we're fine with nine, ten win seasons and a good bowl game. You know, I'm getting sick and tired of that. I want college football playoff. I want a, na- a chance to play for a national title. We've talked about this time and time again. We'd rather see a Penn State National Championship than a Steelers Super Bowl just because we have witnessed Steelers Super Bowls and we can vividly remember them. We weren't even thought of. We were, um, weren't were even born the last time Penn State won a national championship. I want to see my alma mater win a championship and James Franklin can't get that done. He simply can't. It's been 10 years now. There's no more excuses. There's no more sanctions. I want to see a damn national championship. Franklin can't do it. I'd rather see them take the risk and risking that 10-win season um, and, you know, maybe going down to seven or eight wins. But on the flip side of that, you know, us competing like Georgia and Alabama and Ohio State and Michigan. Uh, I'm, I am just so sick and tired of you know, us beating Indiana constantly and Rutgers constantly and Maryland constantly and us just, you know, being little bitches and, you know, putting our tails between our legs um, whenever we play Ohio State Michigan. I'm sick and freaking tired of it, man. Yeah, and, you know, I'll add this. Georgia hiring Kirby Smart was a huge risk. Mm-hmm. OC from Bama. Now, historically, Bama guys have done good, but, I mean... You know, it was a risk for them to take. And I'll make a counter-argument. What about Michigan State? They made the college football playoffs, what, in 2016? Yeah. 2015? At the very least, they were like five or six right in contention. You know what I mean? No, they did make oh, the playoffs they did. one okay. year. I can't remember if it was 16 okay. or 15. Okay. But they did make the playoffs. And then after that, I think Izzo was done. Yeah. and Or they kept Izzo for another year. He kept them on that boundary of, you know, eight, ten win seasons around there, getting to the New York Six Bowl game, um, going into um, <clears throat> just, um, you know, higher standing bowl games than your typical having better than six win seasons. Yeah. And they said, you know, we want to take that next step. So they brought in Mel Tucker and, you know, it kind of flopped on him a little bit. I mean, other than the Kenneth Walker season and they playing in the – what was it, the Peach Bowl or Sugar Bowl against Pitt? Yeah, it was a New Year's Six Bowl. It was it was the game Kenny Pickett didn't play in, and Pitt got absolutely thronged. But <laughs> I'm just saying, you know, they took a risk there, and now, you know, last season it flopped. They were terrible last season. Mel Tucker gets in trouble, and now they're <laughs> terrible this season. So, I mean, I can look at it two ways. I think when they restructure this whole college football playoff system to expand and get more teams into it, obviously Penn State's probably going to be a shoe-in to go play. And I yeah. think at that point, once you're in the dance, it's kind of like March Madness at that point. You know, anyone can win. And that's when I think we got to look at a microscope and say, okay, is Franklin the guy at this point? Because we can get to the big game. We've proven we're consistent enough to be there and get a spot there. But if he can't win those games, then, you know, I don't know what to tell you. Yeah, I would I, – I, I completely understand where you're coming from, especially, you know, a good example, like you said, just about Michigan State – I'm I'm just I'm so fed up with this that I'd rather take that chance and at least that at least tells me from an athletic department standpoint 
that they care. They're not just satisfied. They want more. And as a fan, I want to see that. If it blows up in their face, you know, hey, you tried. Now let's go get another guy. You know, I now I don't want us to turn to a team like the Cleveland Browns where they're constantly and switching out head coaches. Yeah, head coaches. but it's it, it but it's all about a balance. You know what I mean? Just like in life in general, it's all about a balance. You know, I'm not saying you get a head coach every other year. Um, but to hold on to the same guy for 10-plus years when he's proven – it's a proven commodity that he can't beat Ohio State and Michigan unless it's a fluke-blocked field goal. Um, you know, I would just – it's like I said, it shows the fan that they care and they want more, um, and that's what I want. But uh, that's either near or there. Uh, let's get right down to it. Um, we're going to the Maryland game. What do you expect out of Penn State, and what are you most looking forward to seeing in that game? Well, looking forward to, you know – Drew Lar getting a chance to play, you know, big game on the road. This yes. is going to be kind of one of those featured games for Maryland. I think it's like a silver or chrome out or not a chrome out, uh, gold out or something, a yellow out. I don't know. As as Penn State, you know, playing on the road, you get every single game is their whatever out game because you know we have the trying to out. mimic the white out. Yeah, they're yeah. jealous. Haters going to hate. Yep, it, like King Jonathan <laughs> said. But um. Still, still though, I like to see the opportunity Drew's going to have. Maryland's obviously been struggling, lost three in a row, you know, since um, Ohio State. Um, kind of, you know, gave it to him in the second half. Definitely did not look good last week against Northwestern, and with all the trouble Northwestern's been going through, that's kind of an atypical loss, I think, for Maryland. I mean, these guys had all the high hopes. They have their quarterback in his final year, mm-hmm. and it's just they start off hot six and zero, and they come to Ohio State, and it's just like, now what? So I mean, we were even watching that game though at the um, beach at Paula's Island uh, for our buddy's wedding, and they were what either tied or beating Ohio State at the half. They were beating them at the half, yeah. and it was just a you know a switch kind of changed in Ohio State and said we're the better team here, guys. What the hell mm-hmm. are we doing? And you know, I don't think Maryland's really recovered since that second half. No, they haven't. Now, I, you know, obviously, I like our defense with this matchup. I thought our defense played a pretty good game last week other than... A couple misassignments Other than 20 plays. seconds worth of plays. I mean, if you take those 20 seconds out, Tony, it's, they score 10 points. Yeah. And the win looks a lot better. And those are mental mistakes. They're going to happen to everyone. They're that, kids. Exactly. It, it hasn't happened to Penn State that much this season, but they're bound to happen over the, you know, the work span of 12 games. Yes. So, obviously, you know, I expect the defense to come out and play. I mean, last year, Talia was unnoticeable. I didn't even, like, when we played Maryland at home last year at that game, mm-hmm. I didn't even know they had Talia as a quarterback because – he just, you know, the defense handled him all last year. Yeah, shut out. Completely shut Maryland down. And it was, you know, I was surprised this year when I heard he was a starter because, you know, I didn't think he played last year at all. I obviously didn't pay attention enough to Maryland last year, but. It's been 500-some games since Maryland scored a point against Penn State. Yeah, it's, it's <laughs> gosh, that's that's actually a crazy stat. Yeah. yeah, I remember the last two times we've been at Maryland, it's been halftime, everyone's gone for Maryland. And it's all Penn State <laughs> it's just a Penn State section. <laughs> exactly, so it's, hopefully, you know, we kind of come for the same thing. I know, you know, when Maryland came in the Big Ten and we played them that first year, what, 2014, 13, maybe? Yeah, middle of the sanctions, and it was like, oh, we're not going to shake your hand. No handshake at the beginning. And Maryland, Maryland beat, beat us. Yep, ever and since then. And then it's just been nothing but Nittany Lions. Yeah. And, you know, as a football player in central Pennsylvania, it always means a lot going down and beating the boys south of the Mason Dixon. Mm-hmm. So I look for them to come out strong. I look for them to be firing. Hopefully, you know, we see another shutout. I think that would be awesome. This would um, be the first time in, 
I think it's like 40-some years, maybe longer, that Penn State had three or more sh- shutout wins. Wow. So if we can get one more, three, that's that you know, would the be magic awesome. number. Or maybe it was something they never did. Or I forget what the stat was, but it was a pretty incredible stat. Yeah. So go down there. Go down to um, College Park, Maryland. Drink a couple beers. Watch, oh, more than a couple. <laughs> watch, watch the Nittany Lions win this one. 42 to 10. 42-10, I like it. You know, I don't even talked about the defense here. They are what they are. They're an elite defense. They are a college football caliber defense. Mm-hmm. So I'm not worried about that side of the ball. Um, just like the Steelers, you know, it's all about the offense and there or the lack of offense. Uh I I see them easily winning this game. I'll like it might be a close game at halftime. You know, realistically, I could see, you know, a, a one-score game going into the half. Um, but second half, I believe Penn State will take over. Um, I think the final score will be something like 35-36 to 9 or 10. You know what? 36-6 to six is my final score prediction. Um, I want to see some explosive plays on offense. I could give a shit if they have a 10-play, 80-yard drive that takes off eight, nine minutes off the clock. I don't want to see that. I want to see a two- or three-yard drive for 75 yards and a touchdown. I want to see the explosive plays. That's what I'm going to be looking for. Um, Even if you just hit one or two, I'll be satisfied because that's a step in the right direction. Mm -hmm. Um, If they can do that, I'll be a happy camper to say the least. Um, But, yeah, I have my final score being 36-6. to Okay. I like that. I like that a lot. Okay. So to end and to wrap up this episode here, we're going to touch on some hot topics throughout the world of sports, starting with the Michigan scandal. Overall, what do you think of that, J.D.? It's kind of crazy, bro. Yeah. Um, we seen all this about he's on the sidelines during the SMU, or CMU, Central, CMU yeah, game. Yeah, CMU game. Yeah. Michigan, Michigan State. Yeah. Saw, is that him? Was that him? I mean, it, it is him. There's no way it is Because the head him. coach used to be a former assistant to Jim Harbaugh in Michigan. Yeah, so he has not in there. I was reading a report <laughs> when all this first came down saying all the ties this guy had with different teams, and it was kind of wild. Mm-hmm. You know, how connected a super fan like this guy could have been with so many, you know, different coaches within college football yeah it's so wild to me and i was actually reading something interesting today and um actually i kind of want to pull it up and just read it to you too because i found it found it very um perplexing <laughs> okay one second let me find that post real quick well you're looking that up here uh you know at first i just thought it was smoke and water you know it's just a bunch of nonsense like oh, they're just trying to get michigan because it's jim harbaugh and michigan's doing good the more everything's coming out the more i'm just like whoo that's uh that's not looking too good and you know obviously you have people that are biased against michigan especially ohio state fans um and generally you know big 10 haters in general uh they're just you know ripping on michigan and harbaugh and everything so you obviously you get that bias in there just you know we hate michigan we hate the big 10 let's do anything to uh make them uh illegitimate uh you know so you obviously have that but damn there's a lot of evidence mounting up to where like this could be big oh i agree with you and i think it should be serious and seriously taken yeah Um, and this art this i found the article so Basically, um, the Athletic—it's um, you know a website—they surveyed, surveyed 50 uh, college football coaches and asked them to kind of assess the seriousness of what's mm-hmm. going on. So, um, surveying you know all of those 50 coaches, 
uh, 46% rated it a 5 out of 5. Wow. Among all 50 included, the, the average was 42. Only two people ranked it below a 3. And they said it's easy to call plays when you know exactly what the defense is, said a Pac-12 head coach. And, I mean, <laughs> it's just – it's in a, he makes a great point. I mean, if you're sitting there, you know, on a third down play mm-hmm. and you know it's going to be a pass to the right-hand side. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's like recess football bullshit when you hear the <laughs> other kids in the huddle say, all right, you run this route, you run this route, and I'm going to look for you. It's like, hey – Cover him. He's getting the ball. Yeah, exactly. Like, so coming into that, not knowing, you know, kind of a 50-50 call, it makes a big difference in what the outcome of a play is. And, you know, the, the survey kind of continues on and asks, you know, should Michigan be punished? And they said it's a complicated question, but an easy answer for coaches. 94% believe Michigan should be punished if there's proof of off-campus opponent scouting to steal sides. And... One of the one group power five head coach says it's a fireball offense doing stuff like that where you violate all the ethics and sportsmanship. It's just horrible. And you think about football as a whole, how long of a game it's been playing, and there's just unwritten rules to all these sports. Yeah. And, you know, you going out there thinking, oh, I'm clever, you know, mapping and memorizing their hand signals and then, you know, presenting them on the plays that they run based off these hand signals, you know, you can get a very good idea of what's going to happen, especially if you have such a large sample size. So, and it's just, you know, it's not illegal, but it's something that people don't haven't done over the history of the sport. I was about to say, how do you punish a team for doing something that's not illegal? Now, I know in the NFL, go back to 2004, the mid-2000s, where, you know, the Patriots had that whole Spygate allega- uh, allegations against them. They didn't get punished for that, but obviously the NFL has since created rules where, you can't take a freaking video camera and just film the other team's practice anymore. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, so it the evidence is now turning up to be damning. Uh, I've even heard uh, some people say that how if there is going to be a punishment, it's it's not going to be a USC Pete Carroll situation where you had the whole Reggie Bush scandal and everything, and Pete Carroll's like, all right, see, I'm heading back to the NFL. Uh, if there is a punishment, and specifically on Jim Harbaugh, they're going to make it to where you can't just get out of this easily by going back in the NFL. Like, no, you are going to be punished. Uh, I don't know how I feel about that. Um, you know, I think him just leaving Michigan um, is punishment enough. You know, I don't see how you can punish a guy. Um, you know, if he already leaves the program, he's losing all that money now because he is being punished. Um, you know, he should be allowed to go to the NFL. He can do whatever he wants. Uh, but, man, this is. <laughs> <laughs> it's just not looking good. Yeah, and it's it's funny you bring up, you know, Jim Arball and everyone's saying, Well, does he have plausible deniability in all this? I mean As a head coach, you can't you have to somewhat because you're the one who oversees the schematics and the game planning and everything, because you're the head coach. To say that you're totally inept and you had no understanding behind it, that's complete and utter bullshit because the head coach Obviously, the the title head coach has a meaning. You oversee the entire operation of your football team. You you have to know at some point that, yeah, this shit's going on. And that's what 70% of the coaches polled said. I mean, they think, you know, at some point you got to understand who's on your staff. Yeah. What are they doing? I yeah. Mean, and it's funny because I don't want to bring politics in it, but it almost has the Hunter Biden, Joe Biden kind of story feel with Jim Harbaugh's son. Yes. You know, Venmoing this guy <laughs> yes. money for fucking away game tickets. It's like, bro, 
what are you doing, man? Yeah. Everyone knows this is a cash run world. You don't give <laughs> any digital <laughs> transactions and get caught yep. lacking in 4K, man. Come mm-hmm. on. But yeah, I agree. He has to have some responsibility in this. He can say he didn't know what's going on, but his offensive coordinator knew what was going on, and his um, <clears throat> defensive coordinator definitely knew what was going on. Yeah. So at that point, and I mean, look at all of Michigan's uh, guys that you know have left for other jobs, OC, DC wise, over the last couple of years. So it's like you know, you kind of question yourself, like you know, do they know what was going on was wrong, and they didn't want to be a part of it? Yeah. I mean, you got to ask yourself that question, obviously, now in hindsight, but mm-hmm. it's just interesting to me. So let, let's just say, for the sake of argument here, they get enough evidence to prove that, yeah, what they were doing was not right, and there is a punishment. What do you think that punishment is? And, uh, yeah, just what, what do you think that punishment is, and what, what should it be? I think at minimum it's – how long has it been going on? Three years since 2021, they've been saying? Since yeah, the it was – 2021 season? Yes, Okay, so three seasons of football. I mean, I know this season's still ongoing and there can be ramifications, but so far, three seasons of football. Mm-hmm. I mean, back before the 2021 season, Michigan was terrible. Absolutely yeah. terrible. They had, what, Milton, as there's the guy at Tennessee, was their starting quarterback. Mm-hmm. He couldn't hit the broad side of a barn. <laughs> and next season, they just go to an unbelievable program. Yeah. And it's just... You know, you talk about and you envy it because Harbaugh's neck was on the line that yes. season, that COVID year. Yep. His his head was on the hanging block. They were getting ready to move on. He didn't deliver for Michigan. And I feel like he got some heat and, you know, an opportunity presented itself. And <laughs> Yep. Now look at them. They're in the college football playoffs last year and they're ranked what? Third right now? Yes, they're ranked third right now. So yep. it's just to me, it's just Oh, it's just absolutely wild to me, I think, personally. So, my opinion on this, as far as the punishment and everything goes, you know, I'll go back to the Penn State scandal here. Now, obviously, that was a much, much, much bigger issue. I'm not going to take light of that situation. But when you're dealing with people and kids and stuff who definitely weren't a part of that, you know, I'm talking about the Penn State scandal here, and the sanctions that they did on Penn State, to me, that wasn't fair just because every everything that happened... All the people that were involved in that scandal, uh, they were fired and gone and went to jail and all this other stuff. Um, the kids had nothing to do with it. And to punish the kids and for it something... Was before all the kids' time as well. Yes, so. exactly. I thought that was a bit harsh. Um, so, saying that and going to Michigan, you know, obviously the players, they have nothing to do with it. Um, so, to balance that line of punishment involving the program and the players and everything, that's a really finicky line t- to me personally. Um... You know, I think the punishment should be if Jim Harbaugh is gone, you know, without pay. Whatever money he, he got with his contract, he has with his contract, that contract gets null and void. He doesn't see a single cent um, after he gets fired, and then he can do what he wants. He can go back to the NFL. He can coach uh, Slack Division two school for all I care. Um, I just don't want to see the, the team and the players punished because they had nothing to do with it. I agree and disagree with that because they know something has to be going on. I mean, they have to have an understanding of the hand signals, too. That has to be something the coaches go over. But as a kid, are you going to go to the NCAA like, hey, my defensive coordinator are are telling me, like, hey, these are their signs, something's fishy here. As a kid, you're not going to do that. No, I understand you're not going to do that, and I probably no one does that. But still, I think they need to be reprimanded because they had a clear advantage going into games, Tony. Mm -hmm. I think, one, the wins from those seasons should be vacated. I think they should at least have a five-year bowl ban. Wow. 
Yeah, I, well, I think it's deserving. I mean, they cheated and pretty much cheated their way to, you know, the playoffs. Yeah. I think personally. But, I mean, that's it might sound harsh to you, but I don't think you take away scholarships, but I think a bull band's more than enough. You know, I, I, I don't mind the bull bit. I, I don't mind that at all. Um, it just... It just, like I said before, it just sucks for the players. I mean, yeah, e- even if they knew, they they have no say in it or whatever. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But to, to your standpoint, the bowl bin, I actually 100% agree with that. Um, and, you know, obviously the Michigan program as, as a whole should suffer some consequences. I just don't think it should be severe as, um, you know, lack of scholarships um, no, I don't. I don't think they should take scholarships. Yeah. Away. I think a bull band's more than enough. Yeah, I think it's and more then than fire fair. Harbaugh and obviously, whoever was involved. Well, yeah. obviously that's yeah. probably a given. They're going to have to. If, yeah. You know these allegations turn out to be true. There's no way you know you can keep a coach after something like that. I don't care who you are. It's there's going to be no respect for that program whatsoever. Yeah. But um, yeah, like I said, I think a five year bull band's fair. Yeah, I think personally five years is fair. And I think vacating all those wins from the years they were cheating or when they, you know, they started suspecting it and it can prove it, yeah. they should be forfeited as well. That's all I think should happen to Michigan. Yeah, you, you know, I can I can get on board with that too, JD. That's that's perfectly well said. So another hot topic this week was uh, former Pittsburgh Penguin, uh, I believe his name was Adam Johnson, tragically got killed in a hockey game. Um, it was like this United Kingdom Hockey League or something like that. A guy literally went to check another player, missed him, and for some reason went to the motion. I'm not saying a tent here, but the, if you watch the video, the motion that this player made against Adam Johnson was almost like a karate kick right to the throat. Um, I warn you, if you look at the video, uh, at the end it does get pretty graphic. Uh, he uh, never made it into the uh, locker room. He died basically right then and there. Uh you know, it looked, you know, you could say it's a freak accident all you want, but uh, the, the motion of a karate kick uh, to the guy's throat, that seems a little bit more than just a freak incident. What's your take on this, J.D.? Yeah, and I'll be upfront with everyone listening. You know, I'm kind of a playoff hockey fan, so I don't really watch too much hockey until playoffs happen. It's, mm-hmm. You know, I just never really grew up liking the sport that much. I appreciate it, though, but... You know, when instantly when I heard the news, I wanted to see the video just to see, you know, what happened. I mean, sorry, I'm curious that way. I know a person yeah. died during it, but and I watched it. I'm like, how the hell does this guy do this? Like, it's not. I've watched. I've seen a lot of people getting checked in hockey. Never have I seen a guy put a skate in the air when he was going to check a guy. Neck level to neck level to neck level, and I'm just like. And you can say, oh, he's off balance, but in the video, he didn't seem off balance at all. He seemed like he was in control. And here's the thing. I talked to my dad about this, too. You you don't, as a hockey, just as a, let alone hockey player, just as a person on skates who can skate on a rink, on ice, you'd never, never, when you're losing balance, lift your legs up in the air like that. Uh, you, you just don't do that. Like, that, like... Your natural instinct when you're off balance, is to sh- when, when, when you're when you're learning to skate, is always to fall straight down like a sack of potatoes. Mm-hmm. You never lift your feet up in the air like you like you're running on the ground or whatever. I mean, you're taught that when you're skating from when you're three and four, learning how to. You know, you 
And I get this isn't the professional NHL, you know, league. It's a United Kingdom league. But there obviously there are players like Adam Johnson who have been professional hockey players in the NHL before. Everybody knows what they're doing. You know, the guy came in there of reckless abandon trying to check another guy in open ice. He missed. So what I believe happened was he saw the next best thing. He tried to hit this other guy, lost his balance, and in the process decides to kick him. Now, I don't think he obviously did not intend to freaking karate kick him in the throat and kill him. Obviously, that was not that guy's intent. I do believe that guy's intent was to, all right, I miss this guy. I'm going to at least try to get another guy. I'm going to hit him no matter what happens. And that's still not okay. Although the intent of killing was not there 100%, there was still some intent there to, you know what, I missed this body check. I'm going to at least try to get him with my leg and knock him down or trip him or whatever. Uh, but there there was intent there. Now, I've been reading a bunch of articles on this, and a bunch of lawyers, especially how the United Kingdom's laws are, um, You, it's me hard to get manslaughter charges on this. Uh, a lot of things have to go... Um, spiraling downhill for for uh the family of adam johnson to press manslaughter charges on him um just from a legal standpoint but just from just watching the video and and, you know all things aside i think we can kind of come to terms here where it's like i'm not watching the video for pleasure i'm watching just to get every angle i can so that way i'm talking i'm not just you know blubbering here so i watch it numerous times every time i watched it um, the more and more I get convinced of, there was intent to, you know... At least harm him by putting him yes, down. Yes, exactly. Not exa- like, maybe not first-degree murder. Yeah, he wasn't trying to kill the guy, obviously. Like, oh, I'm not to put my skate in this throat. Yeah, But it was him. an outcome that happened from his frustration. And yes, probably. yes, exactly, and, exactly. You know, in a sport like that, especially when you essentially, you know, have razor blades on your feet... I mean, it's just, to me, it's just reckless and wild to go yep. out and do. And, you know, I feel like you'd probably be able to speak on this more than I so, but, you know, as far as having pride in sport, and I said this earlier, you know, the unwritten rules, that just feels like it's an unwritten rule. You don't try to hit someone with your fucking skates. Yeah, you know, and we, we've seen this happen before in the NHL. Like, I'm a Montreal Canadiens fan, as you guys all know. Uh, back in the early 2000s, you can look this up on YouTube. This guy named Richard Zagnick. Look him up on YouTube. He actually got cut with a skate as well. Luckily, thank God, he survived, and he actually was able to continue his playing career with the Canadians. So, obviously, it wasn't life-threatening. But if you look at that incident, that was a complete freak accident. The guy who did it did not mean to at all. There was no... There was just there was no doubt that it was it, it was just something that happened. You know, he had already fallen on the ice, and it's just one of those things where you get a couple bodies involved, and a skate happened to nick him. You know, that's just it. It is what it is. There's nothing you can really do to prevent that. It was a one in a million scenario, and it just happened. Uh, that if you watch the and I um, really encourage you guys to watch the Richard Zegnick video if you can if you don't mind blood. It is kind of graphic. I will warn you. But watch that video with Richard Zegnick from the Montreal Canadiens compared to this one with Adam Johnson. Uh, it's a night and day difference, man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and wasn't the one, the Richard Zegnick one, wasn't that the, was it a military um, medic that came out and, like, closed, 
Was that the one where the it guy It was a team out? doctor, yeah, and he put his... Uh, Suck his fingers yes. in his, in his uh, yep. you know, artery up there so he wouldn't bleed yeah. out. So, I mean, yeah, it's just, you know, unfortunate what happened, obviously, to Adam. Uh, obviously, you know, thoughts and prayers out to him and his whole yeah. family. yep. Because it's just a terrible thing, and it's yes. such an unnecessary thing to happen in this. Story. That's that's a thing. It was unnecessary. It was just it was completely unnecessary to happen. You're you're uh, on point there, JD. Um, I guess to uh, you know, I feel like we've talked enough about that. You know, you don't want to keep harping on a situation like that. Um, college football rankings. Uh, they just came out the other day. Ohio State number one, Georgia number two, Michigan number three, Florida State number four. Do you think they got it right for the first week? I agree 100% with their ratings. I mean, maybe the only kind of if question was Washington, if they were going to get a chance to get in there with their big win over Oregon. Uh-huh. Um, but I think personally, you know, Florida State, they've done enough to kind of deserve that spot there. Washington have a loss or no? Washington's undefeated. Now, that's what I thought. Now, the only issue I have is, you know, I think you can make a case or, you know, uh, a good debate how Michigan and Georgia have the better team than Ohio State. And if the committee is going to go by resume, which Ohio State has the best resume in the country, Mm -hmm. they beat Notre Dame uh, on the road and then beat Penn State at home. They have, you know, it's unarguably uh, the best resume. If they're going to go by that, you have to have Washington in there, man, at number four. Because who's Florida State beating? They beat LSU beginning of the year when they were ranked. They beat a good Duke team, a very good Duke team. And Clemson, where I know they're they're four and four and they're kind of just known for a name the past couple years, but they still beat uh Dabo Sweeney and that Clemson team. Yeah, and I still I think Florida State has good wins. I mean, I could more so maybe make an argument why Georgia doesn't really belong in there. They haven't played Nobody, which I'm not. And same on. with Michigan State. I mean, I can make an argument. Yeah, to Michigan bump, hasn't played anybody. I mean, yeah, Michigan. I you're good. You're good. But I can make an argument, you know, to bump both those teams in for Washington. Yeah. So it's just, you know, I think it's a little bit of SEC, Big Ten bias there. Maybe ACC as well. Obviously, you know, Pac-12 has not gotten as much respect, as much showcasing in the college football. And with them, all them teams going to the Big Ten and going elsewhere. Exactly. Now. And I mean, it kind of, you know historically every year it's the Pac-12 ends up beating themselves out of a spot and yeah I think you know I agree with them right now you're hesitant with them because you know Georgia's got Bama coming up you know Michigan and Ohio State have to play and I think if Washington can finish their Pac-12 season win the Pac-12 championship and stay undefeated there's no question they're going to be in the CFB yeah so I don't think it's this will be the year maybe where a one-loss team makes it unless Michigan and Ohio State you know, find a way to each somehow maybe Ohio State beats Michigan and Michigan mm-hmm. loses to a team or maybe, you know, Michigan beats Ohio State. Yeah. But it's just, you know, at one point, you know, a one loss team's probably not gonna cut it. So Yeah. Now, uh here's a question for you. Uh this involves Penn State here. Let's say by a pure miracle, because when the game comes to a Penn State versus Michigan, I am not picking Penn State. Just a fair warning. They haven't proven to me that they deserve me picking them to win against that game. I've already been fooled once against Ohio State a couple weeks ago. I'm not getting fooled twice. But let's say by some miracle, Penn State beats Michigan um, in Happy Valley. They go 11-1. Then Michigan beats Ohio State. And all three teams are 11-1. How do you see... Uh, the college football playoff rankings with the three Big Ten teams. Like, who who makes it in? Who's the odd man out? 
Well, at that point, it's whoever plays in the Big Ten Championship and wins it. Yeah. Um, I mean, I hate to count the West out, but the West, you're out. Sorry. Yeah. I mean, right now, who who is it? Iowa or what? I don't think Iowa is anymore because they lost. I think it's Wisconsin right now. Is, I, yeah, it's between Iowa and Wisconsin. It's one of those two teams <laughs> is in the driver's seat. So I don't think whoever's playing them from the East is going to have to worry. Yeah. But it's. I think that's what it's going to come down to as far as if the Big Ten is going to get represent, representation in the CFP from the you know the outcome you just yeah. explained. Um, and the funny thing is, so do you know how the tiebreaker works for that? It comes to the fifth tiebreaker, if I'm not mistaken, and it has to do with their um, the West Division's uh, record or strength of schedule or something like that. Right now, Penn State is in the lead between the three teams. So what they do is, yeah, essentially they take all the West teams they played yeah. and they combine their overall wins and losses. Yeah. And whoever has the more wins... And right now, Penn State, between the teams they played in the West, has the most wins. Because they played Iowa, yes. Yes. So that's... Yep. that's Northwestern has, I think, three wins, so that even helps and them. Northwestern you know helps as well, too. So that's that's a scenario it could come down to. But like you said, there's big ifs. Penn State somehow needs to find a way to beat Michigan. And Ohio, Michigan has to find a way to beat Ohio State. So, I mean... <laughs> It's a lot of what ifs. I mean, it's out there, but yeah, that's like I said, the champion of the Big Ten. That's that's who will come out and go to the CFP in that scenario. Yeah. Now here's a crazy, crazy scenario for you. I just thought this in my head. Let's say you know it's either Ohio State, Michigan, or Penn State. They're eleven and one. They go to the Big Ten championship game, and they end up losing to an Iowa or Wisconsin. What happens there? Have fun in the Rose Bowl. <laughs> Actually, no, they wouldn't even go to the Rose no. Bowl because the- Rose Bowl's a college football playoff bowl. Well, no, it's they still have a Rose Bowl, though, don't they? They have a Rose Bowl, but the uh, college football playoff team would play in the Rose okay, Bowl. Okay, so, I mean... I, I, yeah, so, like, who... You would assume a New Year... Well, I mean, at that point, they're going to have two losses, and you'd hope a New Year's six. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that would actually be wild if that happened. So, let's say, for example, Ohio State represents the Big Ten East in the Big Ten Championship game. They're... Um, undefeated. They're undefeated. Um, and you have... A Michigan team who's eleven and one, and an Ohio and a Penn State team who beats Michigan, and they're also eleven and one. Uh, who and Ohio State goes to the Big Ten championship and loses. Who do, do any of those three teams at the college football playoff? Like what happens in that scenario? I mean, at that point, we're going to have to see how other teams played out against each other because obviously, you know, Georgia they're going to have to play in an SEC championship game, and you know it's gonna be against probably i'd assume bama so yeah they're gonna have to play each other yeah. obviously obviously that's a slim far in between chance it's there's like a like a one percent chance it happens just throwing it out there though because that would be crazy yeah i mean i think it makes the washington discussion a lot easier if they come out of it on scale yes. or with one loss <laughs> yep um and there's gonna be other good one loss teams there too so i mean you're gonna have oklahoma you're gonna have texas probably ending up with one loss yeah i completely forgot about texas yeah i mean there's i mean how many one loss teams are there obviously bama is one of those one loss teams i mean yeah i could easily see a way bama <laughs> plays georgia Georgia wins and stays undefeated. Yeah. Bama with two losses somehow gets into the fucking college football playoffs. I yep. can I can totally see that happening. Yeah. If what you said happened to Ohio State, because at that point they would have two losses then. Yeah. Michigan and Penn State would probably jump them as far as playoff preference goes. Yeah. And um or, I mean not playoff, bowl game preference. Yeah, goes. I know what you meant. And um at that point it's like, well, hey, you know, Bama lost to Texas. You know, Texas is potentially in georgia's in it's 
you know, do we put Bama in too because their two losses were to teams already here? Yeah. But, you know, I don't see anyone in the ACC beating Florida State, obviously. So I think, no, the ACC sucks. I think Florida State, and essentially because also they're ranked four, I think they're going to probably be a lock for college football playoffs, bearing any upsets that yeah. could potentially happen. But, um, so I'd say they're probably an easy lock, and I'm... I hate to do. I'm not going to say Washington's a lock because the Pac-12 is just madness, and yeah. no one in their right mind would take a Pac-12 team to stay undefeated the whole season. No, but I would say, you know, as far as the locks go, I think Florida State's pretty essentially a lock right now, and I think there's a lot can happen for the other three teams. Who's your sleeper to potentially make the college football playoff when it's all said and done? I mean, in my heart, I want to say Penn State. <laughs> I want to say we beat Michigan. We go to the three-way playoff. We go to the yeah. Big Ten championship. We go to the college football playoffs. Yeah. But other than Penn State, other than Penn State, um, well, that's a tough question, Tony. Um, I'm thinking personally Texas. I think you like Texas because there's no divisions in the Big Twelve, right? It's just top two teams go to play the conference title. I think it's Oklahoma and Texas. Texas wins their revenge game, and I think they get in. Because, especially with that um, Alabama on the resume, that whatever Alabama on the resume. I think if they go undefeated, go into the conference title game, they'll be twelve and one with that uh, conference win. I think that's your sleeper, uh, Tanner. You better be listening to this, and you better give me a lot of credit for picking Texas as a sleeper team. I don't hear any more. I don't want to hear any more shit from you. Okay. <laughs> I, I like Texas as a sleeper. Yeah, that's a, that's a good sleeper. Um, as far as my sleeper, I just want to throw something completely out of left field right now, Tony. Yeah, go for um, it. God, <laughs> I want to say like UNC. Who they lose to really badly? Uh, Virginia. They lost, they lost to Virginia. To Virginia. But there's still a chance that they could play Florida State in the ACC and they win and they beat Florida State and, and they, that erases that loss. Exactly. Yeah, I like that. I like that. I, That's I, a very good sleeper team because I think UNC's sneaky good. Um, they got Mac Brown there and he's been you know doing pretty well for them yeah. as well, turning them around. Mm-hmm. And I. I I don't want Drake to Mays at one of the top quarterbacks, if not the best quarterback in college football. You can say all about what you can say all you want about Caleb Williams, but Drake May, you got to put him in that conversation. Oh yeah, he's been absolutely lights out, and I want to make sure that they're in those different divisions in the ACC because I don't want to talk out of my ass saying you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're good. They pay, play each other, and then they never have a chance of playing each other. Yeah, look that up here. Um, I don't. Did Alabama ever make it into the college football playoff with oh, two losses? So ACC set up um, same as the Big Twelve. Okay, the top two teams will play. Okay, so yeah, that would make divisions. complete. That would make complete sense then. Yep. Actually, Louisville's there too, seven one. I kind of forgot about them. Yeah, I. I mean, I. I get they beat Notre Dame. I just don't see them. That's a big, big sleeper team. <laughs> That's a big, big sleeper team. I mean, they do have a shot, though. They'll probably be the team actually looking at it now that plays Florida State. UNC has two losses. Oh, they have two losses. They lost. Oh, they fucking lost to Georgia Tech last week. Well, yeah, never mind. UNC is not my sleeper team anymore because I didn't know they lost to Georgia Tech. I didn't week. know that either. Damn. Yeah, so. Oh. Um, yeah, scrap the US, UNC. Um, <laughs> 
UNC call there. That's definitely an L take out of me. Please blow that up in chat. But, <laughs> um, you know what? I'm going to be crazy. I'm going to say it. You pick Texas. I'll go the Sooners. Sooners? Okay. I want to see the Sooners get into the college football playoffs again. I really like Oklahoma as a program. but who Who's their old coach, Riley? Lincoln Riley. Lincoln yeah. Riley. Screw him. He's come back. Yeah, fucking USC one of the ads. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But, I yeah, exactly. I think I think Oklahoma will be my sleeper team just to oppose you and uh, <laughs> make like sure Tanner's still looking, <laughs> listening, making a little bit more sad. Oh, jeez. All right. Well, before we wrap up here, uh, anything, any other hot topics you want to talk about here? Can you think of anything that we could discuss? Go over. Um. Not really. No. I mean. We had the NFL trade deadline. I mean, the 49ers got Chase Young. Which, um, for a third-round pick, is... Yeah, compensatory third-round pick. Like, they're not losing anything in that deal. Yeah, I was... The rich get richer, man. Yeah. The rich get richer. Um, really, other than that, not many big trades that are uh, to be had. You know, Derrick Henry, he stayed... Uh, that DB from the Bears, who everybody says he's good. I think his last name's Johnson or something. Yeah, I forget his name. Apparently, the Steelers made a push for him, I guess. Yeah, really, but I am enough. so glad the Steelers didn't make a trade and lose draft capital for you know coming years. I'm so happy. Yeah, I'm. I would say the biggest maybe surprise out of that was you know kind of the running back staying put. Um, everyone mm-hmm. kind of expected Henry and Saquon probably to go shopping to a team, you know. Like the Baltimore Ravens, maybe, you know, yeah. who doesn't have really any good running backs. I mean, sorry, Gus Edwards, if I'm throwing shade at you, but <laughs> you compared to Derrick Henry and Saquon Barkley, yeah, I think it's Yeah, you're not on the same choice. level. But, yeah, that's really what surprised me the most. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, I'm just so glad Stewart didn't make any trades. Like, I know there was rumors about Patrick Sertan from the Broncos and, again, that DB from the Bears. I mean, the last thing the Steelers need is more defensive guys. If anything, they were going to make a trade. It needed to be for an offensive lineman or another weapon or something like that. But I think Omar Khan, the GM for the Steelers, he played it perfectly this year, um, just keeping with the status quo, knowing that, you know, they're still years away from becoming a Super Bowl contender. Um, Hell, they're years away from becoming a playoff contender for that matter. Um, You know, I think of all the personnel in this in the Steelers organization him and assistant GM Andy Weidel who came over from the Eagles they know what they're doing we saw it in the draft they got offensive line they got a DB they got defensive they got another defensive tackle and Keanu Benton uh they're gonna continue I think to do the same thing build in the trenches and then from there extend out um you know they were active in free agency this year I I continue to see them being active in free agency unlike in previous years with Kevin Colbert um he knows what he's doing. It's just from the head coach all the way down. They don't know what they're doing. But I do like our um, our front office uh, personnel. Uh, but yeah, I was satisfied with them not making any trades whatsoever. Yeah, no, and I mean, you know, back to like I said, it's rebuilding, and you know, the season's still relatively young. I mean, there's a lot that can still happen. Um, we're what week week nine week nine halfway through the year halfway through the year so yep. i mean let's see what the second half has to offer we got a lot of games coming up that could decide how we do and you know i think you ride it out this year and just see what happens and you go into the off season with a new perspective of making changes so i think you're too far past the point i don't think 
You know, as far as us, maybe record-wise, if we had one loss coming into this, maybe if we beat the Jaguars next week, you take maybe a little bit more look, say, you know, maybe I'm willing to give it up for this guy because, you know, we do need help at the cornerback position. Yeah. But it's at this point, it's like, hey, you know, we're right where we want to be. We got three losses, five wins. We can't be that angry. Let's just see how the rest of this shit plays out. Yeah, especially when they're not even, like you said, rebuilding. They're not even close to sniffing a Super Bowl right now, Mm -hmm. so... Uh, I like how they just didn't make a move and they stay quiet on trade deadline day. Um, but yeah, I think that's going to wrap it up for this episode of Montreal Madness. Again, JD, thank you for uh, uh, coming here and doing this with me. Uh, it was a pleasure. Uh, hopefully we can do this again and hopefully we can get a couple more people like Corey and Luke. We can all come on together and do a roundtable discussion. Even your dad, Shane. I'd love to have him on. Mention that to him. I think that would be cool. Uh, former Florida State, uh, not Florida State, James Frostburg. FSU. Yeah. FSU. FSU. FSU quarterback. Yes. Right. But, um, <laughs> Yeah, I know Dad definitely would love to come on sometime. It just He's traveling this week. Yeah, so. he's a busy man for sure. Unlucky, but I appreciate you having me on, Tony. Love having, you know, kind of these discussions with you about sports. Hell Hopefully yeah. the viewers, the listeners, you know, you guys got a little bit of entertainment out of it, at least listening to our dog shit takes. But, <laughs> hey, I appreciate you sticking around for this long. You love us, obviously, and we thank you for that. Yep, no problem. Alrighty, I think that's going to do it for this episode of Montreal Madness.